Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Overwhelmed, fear factor, why are we so afraid? If I can draw your attention to the last verse where Jesus said to his disciples, yeah, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? I don't know how many of you are in the room. I can assume that there's quite a few of us in the room, quite a few of us watching around the world who have actually raised a child. Raised a child in your house. Not just been around a child, but raised a child. Wave your hand at me if you've raised a child. Somebody in your house ate your food. Okay, raised a child. All right. For all of us who have raised a child, anyone around the world, raised a child, you will acknowledge that there's a moment in that child's life when the fear clicks on. When they're younger, they have no fear. you got to watch them closely when they two, when they First learning to walk, they're trying to go upstairs. They're trying to touch stuff. You gotta watch them because they're fearless. They have no fear. They're trying to go up the steps. They don't really care. They have no knowledge of the fact that they could break their neck. You're watching them. Their angels are around them. You got stuff guarding the sharp corners because they have no fear. Last Sunday when I was sharing this, I made everybody stand up and said, how many of you can swim? And I made people sit down who actually were able to admit they, they actually couldn't swim. And I still feel I, li- I need to do a sermon on lying. But, but anyway, because there was way too many people on their feet. But my point is, is for many of you, if you can't swim, chances are what happened is, and if you're here and you have a young child, might I suggest that you get them in the pool before their fear clicks on. If you can get them in some water younger than three, chances are they'll learn how to swim. Part of the reason why some of y'all in here can't swim now is because you scared. Oh, I wish I had a witness. You don't want to get your face hardly wet. So my point is, is that if you've been around a young child, you'll realize and you can think of it when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's like somebody reached on the inside of them and flicked a switch and fear is there. It's not taught. It just comes out of nowhere. All of a sudden, they get scared. All of a sudden, all of us had to deal with fear. We can't talk about being overwhelmed. We can't talk about anxiety. We can't talk about depression. We can't talk about any of this stuff if we can't admit that fear is a factor. One of the reasons why we don't talk about this in church a whole lot is because we act like faith means that there's no fear. So we almost kind of halfway have to act like if we have faith, we don't have fear. Jesus says to them, why are you so afraid? It's a good question. But he says, do you still have no faith? Me 
meaning that faith is the antidote to fear. It doesn't mean that faith is the eradication of all fear. That fear is something that we have to admit is there. One of the most famous passages that we love to quote, David writes in Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Any church people, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Verse 4 said, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. David said, one of the reasons why I praise like I praise, one of the reasons why I love the Lord, one of the reasons why I'll bless him at all times, one of the reasons why his praise shall continually be in my mouth is not just because I'm in a church service and not just because somebody made me praise, but because you know what? I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all of my fears, plural. This is David. This is somebody who fights lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, this is somebody who fought a giant with a sling. Talk to me. He fought a giant with a sling and he's able to admit, you know what God does for me? God delivers me from my fears. That God is a part of what helps me with the fear factor. God is a part of what I need and a part of what I use. And when that, when that fear comes bubbling up, man, I'm glad that I can seek the Lord while he may be found because he's a deliverer of the constant that is fear. Why are we so afraid? We almost want to act like we don't know what fear is about, but come on. If somebody creep up behind you at the right moment, they'll scare you half to death. We all of us have uh, uh, an instinct to jump and us to be startled. All of us, all, if you've ever been in a movie like that, movie that came out recently called A Quiet Place or something like that. And if you've ever seen that movie, you know if you're in those moments, my wife don't like those movies where it's like everything gets quiet and you know somebody about to jump out at someone. What is that, what is that movie? It is dealing with a reality that fear is a factor. Don't care how saved you are, don't care how long you've been in church, don't care how much the Holy Ghost you got, don't care how much Jesus you think you know, fear is still something that you got to deal with. It got turned on when you was a little kid, and it ain't really gone nowhere. And if you are special, you want to do something like jump out of a plane. My dad jumped out of a plane. He said to me, are you going to jump out of a plane? I said, you did it for all of us. 
Thank you so much. I had the experience watching you do it. There's something about jumping out of a functioning plane that just don't make sense to me. I don't know who folded this parachute. I don't really know what's gonna happen. Why would I, why? Because we all have fear. When Jesus asks a question, we have to really pay attention. Most of the time we approach God or approach church or approach texts with our own questions. We come to God, we come to theology, we come to, many of us, we seek God so that we can get our questions answered. Well, why this? Well, why that? Well, why is this being allowed instead of, and I get that, nothing wrong with it, but I think it's something to be considered when Jesus asks a question. And his question is, why are you so afraid? Why are we so afraid? I kind of left us hanging there last Sunday. Why are we so afraid? Why is fear such a factor when we're talking about being overwhelmed? Well, let's look back at the text. When I, when I look at Mark chapter 4 and verse 35, I see all kinds of reasons why we're afraid, and I'm going to point them out to you, and I'm going to try to give us all a little bit of Holy Ghost therapy. Help us, help us, Lord. But if we look at Mark chapter 4 and verse 35, look back at the text, I see reasons why we're afraid, why fear is a factor. Number one, kind of dealt with this a little bit last Sunday, but I'll repeat it just a little bit right there in verse 35. It says, that day when evening came. So there's a reason right there. Time is scary. Anxiety, time. Scared, time. You're getting older. You're doing the math. You're thinking, I'm not as young as I used to be. I'm not 25 no more. I'm not 18 no more. I'm not 35 no more. I'm not 41 no more. You start rolling on certain ages. You start asking yourself, have you met these benchmarks? I started getting closer to 50. I started asking myself, how much money do I really have? How much am I worth? Am I worth more dead than alive? I knew what I was worth dead because I got this world overcomers. They got key man policies on me. There's life insurance policies on me. And, and so I know what I'm worth dead. But what am I worth while I'm living? And I started doing the math around what I'm spending versus what I got. I started walking around them cars and wondering, do I really need to drive this car? Is this really worth this? How much is this? I'm not driving this car. Can somebody get me a truck? I, what happens is time is a scary thing. We don't like to really think about it, but you ain't going to be here forever. Pastor says, evening came. Time of the day passed, and if we're honest, we can admit time can cause anxiety. Time can make you stressed. Time in which you haven't met the goals you think you should have met by that time 
can be a scary thing. Number two, he said to his disciples. So Jesus said something to his disciples. And so I said last Sunday, and I, I didn't maybe say it this way, but I'm saying it in the lesson, that the second thing that is a reason why we're afraid is that is the interpretation of Scripture is scary. The interpretation of Scripture is scary. What, not just what Jesus said, but what they told us Jesus said and what they told us that that meant is scary. I would contend that a lot of us who are serious about the Lord are serious more for fear than even love. Well, it's quiet in here today. But a lot of us, that's how they got us saved. Tomorrow's not promised. You better choose them today. You're going to bust hell wide open. You're going to go to hell. The Winans wrote this song, Tomorrow Who Promised You Tomorrow Better Choose the Lord Today For Tomorrow Very Well May Be Too Late. The whole thing was to scare you. Everybody else can smoke that, but when it come around to you, you going to puff it and die. I wish I had a witness in the building. They scared as they're, as they're passing it. When it comes around to you, you're thinking that, 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 Everybody else has puffed. But your grandmama told you, but there's a call on your life, baby girl. And if you even touch the weed, let me tell you, you will die. And you're scared. You're scared of the consequences. You're scared of what's going to happen. For, for many of us, if you were raised in church, you were raised with a certain amount of condemnation theology. At least I was. Maybe I'm just talking to me. But, but I, I came to the understanding that what they told me, God said, and what they told me it meant was meant to scare me from stuff. They were so scared that you might drink <laughs> that they lied to us about Jesus turning water into wine. I'll just move on. That was really grape juice. It can't be grape juice. There's no refrigeration. And at the party, the master said, wow, normally you get everybody drunk. Then you give them the best wine. But y'all done saved the best wine for last, which means Jesus is at a party where people are drunk. Let me just move right on off of this point because somebody just said, oh, is the store open? No, my point is, is, is that the way we were taught was I was taught. Now, maybe that one. I was taught. Oh, no, 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 no. You can't do that. Fear was a major factor and a major source of anxiety for many of us that were raised Christian. Fear was a big part of what we were taught. Can I just get a witness of anybody that can say, oh, no doubt about it, PA. That's definitely a factor that, that, that half of my anxiety came from just thinking that God was watching me every second. His eyes on his peril, and he, he's watching you every minute. 
He cracked the sky. He coming like a thief in the night. Like he trying to catch you right when you're wrong. I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on. But I'm just trying to get a few more nods. Somebody being honest. I would go to parties and go outside to check up in the sky to make sure the Lord ain't come yet. They told us that your angel don't go with you into the party because he can't be in there. He's waiting outside at the door. No, that was just me. So I would be get to the party and hear it is bumping in there. And I would say to my angel, I'm like, listen, I'm going to go in here real quick because there's some in here. And so I'll be right back. So fear was used to interpret scripture to us. Okay. Number three, Jesus said, let's go over to the other side. I would suggest for your consideration that movement is scary. Movement is scary. Most humans like consistency. They like predictability. They like to know what stuff's happening. They like to know where they are. They like to know where they go. Even right now in the church world, and I'm not, not that we're all in church business, but in the church world, a part of the challenge is post-COVID, everybody's trying to go back to doing church how we did it before when Jesus said, let's go over to the other side. But going to the other side makes you nervous. We like what we can predict. We like the same stuff. I love Cracker Barrel. I live in North Carolina. I love Cracker Barrel. Cracker Barrel is a go-to for me. When in doubt, let's go to Cracker Barrel. I can get pancakes at any time. I can get a pancake on the side of my burger. So even if I'm having lunch, I can still get a pecan pancake. I love the consistency of it. You understand? When you walk into them, they all look alike. There's this one Cracker Barrel I go to so much. I go to that Cracker Barrel, go to that, I don't even need the menu. If I'm there with somebody else, I tell them what to get. Get the grandma sampler. You get a little eggs, you get a little meat, you get two pancakes, because you can't really eat three. You know, hash brown casserole. This is just for the North Carolina people, if you don't. And so I, I tell them I go to the same Cracker Barrel all the time, and I almost order the same thing always. Cracker Barrel I go to, the bathroom for the men is on the right, and the bathroom for the women is on the left. I was someplace else. Walked into a Cracker Barrel. Was like, yep, I'm about to get me some pancakes. And I said, I sat at the table and talking to somebody. And then I said, oh, let me go to the bathroom real quick. And I jumped up and went to the bathroom and walked into the door on the right automatic pilot. 
When I got in there, I said, wow, there's no urinals in here. This is very interesting in this Cracker Barrel. I just went in a stall and just in there and just going on using the restroom. And then I heard somebody else come in and the click, 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 click of their heels. And I was like, I don't know what that is. Some dude got some shoes on or something. And then when I heard the sound of the Pee, you know, when women pee, it sounds like rain. When I heard the rain drops, <laughs> I thought, my Lord and my God. I washed my hands so quick I got out of there because we're such creatures of habit. You ever in your car and you just all of a sudden, you just on your way to work. It's not even time to go to work, but you drive the route so much that your brain takes you places. We are creatures of habit and movement makes us nervous. The other side scares us. Who you'll be over there and you don't recognize that person can make you scared. Number four, in verse 36, it's just so much in the Bible. In verse 36, it says, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat, and there's also other boats with him. Pioneering is scary. It's scary when you leave the crowd. It's scary when you step away from the group. It can make you nervous. It can fill you with anxiety. It can overwhelm you. There's something about being with everybody that has a good feeling for you. But when you step out and you are now cutting a path that no one's been on, when you step away from your family and now you're the first to do this and the first to do that, when you step away from your community and you become the first to do this and the first to do that, there's a certain amount of loneliness in it. And so leaving the crowd, leaving the crowd can cause anxiety. Wanting to be accepted by a group that you're ahead of can be Stressful. It's stressful to be Joseph. Here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him. Here comes that dreamer. Let's throw him in a pit. Sometimes it's not popular to be the dreamer. I don't know who I'm preaching to besides just myself this morning. It becomes dangerous to you and it can be stressful and you almost don't want to tell everybody what your dream is because people will start treating you different because you think too highly of yourself to think that you gonna do something ain't nobody else done this is why you get on my nerves because you just think you about to be all up there I don't know who told you that's what you were gonna do because and now you are facing the possibility of being ostracized from your group to do more they left this crowd behind them 
Pioneering is scary. Number five, a furious squall came up. The waves broke over the boat. It was nearly swamped. Storms are scary. Storms are scary. Look like we're about to come to the other side of this COVID storm. And just as we're coming to the other side of it, Putin! Oh, I wish I had a witness. We just, I just was like, okay, we used to fill this room three times. So I'm just like, okay, people about to come back to church. And now, gas! Just another reason, Ma, for folk to be like, uh huh, I'm gonna stay right here because I'm not about to spend my 450 gas uh, to go down the world. There's no way. What? The minute one storm is over, there's another one. And the world we live in today, they love to keep us scared. They love to make us nervous. They love it. They know when we get scared, we buy stuff. When we get scared, we buy bread. When we get scared, we buy water. People make money when we're scared. They say snuff and the shelves are empty. And so they're always trying to keep us a little bit on edge and always trying to tell us the worst story, the headline. Bombing in Kia. So they just they want to hit us with it so that we will instantly go from one storm to another storm. And we have to admit, storms are scary. Storms can cause anxiety. Verse 38 says Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion, and the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? This sixth one is a tough one, but I'm going to lay it out here because the Lord said it to me, and that is the, in, the inaction of God is scary. The inaction of God is scary, meaning Jesus is in the boat sleep while the storm is happening. I know I'm not the only one who has said, Lord, you don't have to let this happen. One of the ways that people who are atheists or agnostics use to prove that God isn't real or God isn't alive is they just have to point at some disaster, point at what they see as the inaction of God. And the inaction of God in that situation to them is enough proof that God does not exist. I know I'm not the only one who has been in a situation in which I've said, now, Lord, you know you can step right in here and fix this right now. I know you're with me. You said you never leave me. You said you never forsake me. You said you were Emmanuel. So where are you? And what's connected to it that I don't have in the notes because it's almost a scarier thought is that the inaction of God can almost make us ask an, uh, another question that's scary. And that is, God, do you care if we die? Now, do you care about my son or what? I mean, I, do you care about 
this or not. I mean, look, Master, cares thou not that we perish? How high up is it on your list of priorities that I have my life? Help us, Holy Ghost. The minute you face a storm, you start questioning, what is the real purpose of God? <laughs> what, what is God doing in this? Somebody got cancer. The minute, if you're a believer, you start to think, all right, now, Lord, what are you saying? What are you, what is the word? What, what is God in this? How is he in it? How is he behind it? Master, cares thou not that we perish? If you've ever had a prayer life and ever asked God for anything and he didn't answer when you thought you needed him to answer, and I know they told you he may not come what you want him, uh, but he always right on time. Sounds nice, but I'd like him to come when I want him. Can I get an honest somebody? I just want somebody to say, that's thank you very much, Grandma. But, okay, he may not come what you want him. But I, thank you. But he's always right on time. I don't know. He feel a little late to me. <laughs> Lazarus' sister said, Jesus, oh, my Lord, where you been? I sent you a note four days ago. Didn't you get my text? You had been here, my brother would not have died. The message said, the one you love is sick. Meaning, stop healing all these random strangers and get your hits down here with them little scraggly disciples of yours as fast as possible and heal this dude you love. The word says, Jesus loved Lazarus and the sisters and stayed where he was four more days. Read your Bible. Jesus stayed right there and let Lazarus die. Showed up and folk are mourning. Showed up and he's in a tomb. He's in a tomb. He's been in a tomb for days. Jesus, show up late. Hey, everybody. What I miss? What you miss? I need an honest Christian. What you miss? I've been crying for three days. Lazarus was my favorite person. Oh my God, here go Jesus. If you had gotten here on time, my brother would not have died. First time Jesus heard that, he kind of let it go. But when the second sister said it, Jesus got a small little attitude. And he said, let me tell you something really quickly. I am the resurrection and the life. And if somebody's dead, who do you think you're talking to? You better back up off me. She said, oh, my bad, Jesus. I know even now God will do whatever you say. But if we honest... The inaction of Christ. It's what leads me to the seventh thing. And I think I'm going to be able to get to, I'm going to be able to end this lesson. I'm going to be able to see anybody hearing anything from the Lord in the room. All right, so got you around the world. The seventh thing is the denial of our desires is scary. See, 
The disciples didn't want to die. They wake Jesus up and they say, now hold on. Do you care if we die? Because we would like to live. Nobody's in that boat saying, hey, we with Jesus. So I guess we just going to heaven. No, no, no. They shake him awake and say, Master, do you care if we die? Because we care if we die. We all want to live. Everybody in this room wants to live. Everybody watching right now, I want to assume you want to live. If you 80, you want to live. We got folk around here 80 drinking water. 80 years old eating kale. I don't know. I feel like when I'm 85, I'm going to eat a lot of cake. But my point is, is that the denial of your desires is a scary thing. It can cause anxiety. You want something and you want to believe that God wants you to have what you want. But you're nervous because you're not quite sure that he wants you to have what you want. Especially since you don't have it yet. And you have prayed you have called on the Lord, you have fasted, you have talked to God, and you have not gotten an answer. I just need, I just need a few honest people to say, oh my Lord, Pastor Andy. Matter of fact, there's a lot of us who stopped going to church because we had a grandmama to pray for something, or a mama that prayed for something, believed God for something forever, and it just never came to fruition, and it almost made us think that God ain't real. Because the denial of our desires is a scary thought. Why are we so afraid? That's why I had us look at James chapter 4 and verse 1. And in that James says, well, what causes fights? And what causes quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have so you kill. I know we want to blame Putin or whoever for what's going on right now, but the fact of the matter is he wants something. The NATO forces want something. The President of the United States and Americans, we want something. We care. They show us the pictures. Our hearts go out to the innocent. But we also got an attitude about gas costing what it costs. I couldn't get no amens on that. So believe me, as much as we want to villainize whoever, understand at the base of the conflict is desire. Did anybody in here get mad this week? Be honest if you got mad this week. Don't make me do a thing. If you got an attitude this week, my hand is up. 
around the world. You got mad. What you got mad about? You got mad because there was something you wanted. You did not get it. James says, what is it that makes you want to pop off? What is it that makes you want to pop somebody? What is it that makes you want to cuss somebody out? Amen, world overcomers. Let's be honest, Christians. What is it that makes you want to say, oh, no, you did not? What is that? It's the fact that you have a desire within you. You, you desire, you don't have, so you're ready to kill somebody. This passage is way too honest. You, you want something, you don't have it, and you only didn't kill because of something you saw on CSI. You know they will find a strand of your hair that you bought from the weasel. You know that they will find your microlink. They gonna find, you know they are. They'll find your eyelash in the mattress. You want something, you don't have it, so you're ready to kill. You covet, covet means that you see what somebody else has. We don't talk about coveting a whole lot because this cuts too deep. But we see what somebody else got and we want what they got. We don't just want something like that, we want that. We don't just want a car like that. We want their car. We don't just want a position like that. We want their position. I should be in that position. Strike them, Lord. He says, you covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. And you don't have because you don't ask God. What is James talking about? He's talking about the desire within. A part of why we're overwhelmed and afraid and fear is a factor is because we have a measure of discontent. It's like when I was a kid, When I was a kid, this is what they give you for the water? That's lame. When I was a kid, this was the large drink at McDonald's. I'm going to date myself now. Talk to me. This was the large. You want me to go over here? This was the large when I was a kid. This was the medium. And the small was a cup that I guess they don't even have anymore. Now, here's my point. My point is, is that the measure of our discontent is seen in the distance between what we have and what we expect. If we have this, but expect this, this here is the measure of our discontent. 
It don't mean you don't have nothing. You just want more than what you got. So you can directly trace the measure of your discontent between this and this. Between this and this. And I would contend that these two are not that different. Now is the measure. Now is the winter of our discontent. That's from King Richard. Now is this, this measure. It's a part of why we are afraid and stressed out is because we have something that we want. Even more than that, we have something that we need. And when our needs go unmet, it can cause anxiety. It can cause stress. As a matter of fact, and I'm going to end with this, there are six primary needs. If you've never heard me share this before, I'm sharing it again. You want to pull something out and write this down. Six primary needs that all humans have. As a matter of fact, if you're stressed, or somebody around you stressed, somebody's overwhelmed, somebody's bothered, somebody's feeling anxiety or depression, one of the things they will teach you in therapy, they taught it to me, it's straight psychology, is that every human has six primary needs. You have all six. Everybody has all six. I'm going to do a little therapy in this last couple of minutes here this morning. Everybody in the room has all six of these needs. All right? Say amen. amen. Everybody has six. If you're watching around the world, everybody has these six primary needs. Here's the thing. One of them is driving you. One of them is navigating, and the other four are in the back. It's like a minivan. So you've got a primary need that is driving you. You have a secondary need that talks really loud. And then you have four more needs in the van that are also speaking. And if you're in here and you're bothered, you're annoyed, you're angry, you're stressed, you're upset, you're overwhelmed, chances are is that your primary need is not being met. Your secondary need is not being answered. Or it could be that an accumulation of enough of these six needs going unmet causes within you a subconscious reaction that's affecting your body because you have unmet primary needs. Just nod. I know you're with me, okay? Uh, y'all are who I can see. I know folks around the world. Y'all are who I can see. Got it? Six primary needs. So you have there's six primary needs. You have all six. There are no right or wrong answers as to which one's driving you or not. I'm going to give you this information for you to now do some analysis of yourself so that you can figure out what is your driving need, what is your secondary need, and you can also be aware of the other four because if they go unmet, they can cause anxiety in your life. With me? Now, just start you off with a bonus one, which is not in it because this is psychology, but since we are in church, 
Number one, I need Jesus. Thought I'd get a bigger amen on that one since we're in church. I do need Jesus on my journey. I need a relationship. I need a higher power. I need God. I need his voice. I need to know all things work together for the good of them who love God. Called according to his purpose. A part of what helps me sleep at night is to say, well, God, you must be in it somehow. And you're behind this in some way. And you're working this out for my good. And I, I may not understand it, but I know you got it. That's why we in church. It's why we praise. It's why we're here. It's because we believe that my sins are forgiven. Okay, but to give you the six, six primary needs, there are no right answers. Here it is. I'm not giving them to you in any particular order, only in the order in which I, I learned them. First primary need, the first need that all humans have, number one, is consistency. Write it down. Consistency. Put consistency. Take a picture with your phone if you want. Consistency. Snapshot. Consistency. Humans need consistency. We need the ground to be consistent. We need the air to be consistent. We need the oxygen levels to be consistent. We need the temperature to be consistent. We need people to be consistent. We need stuff that's a certain amount of predictable. We like what we like, and we like it to be predictable. Consistency is a sign of competency. Find somebody to cut your hair good, you want them to cut your hair every time because they're consistent. Somebody have a bad day and your hair don't come out right, that means they don't know what they're doing. So consistency is a need. If consistency is your driving need, then you just want to get your check. And you're nervous about something that doesn't seem consistent. The second need, ironically, is inconsistency. Inconsistency is a primary need. That's the second one. Because too much consistency drives you crazy. This is why you go to the movies. This is why you go to the beach. This is why you go outside. This is why you go to Vegas. This is why you go to the mountains. This is why you take a trip to Paris. This is why you do this. Because there's a certain amount of inconsistency that you desire. People that are driven by inconsistency are people that climb Mount Everest. They hang glide. They want to jump off a mountain with a kite on their back. They want to dangle between life and death. That's how they feel alive. You going to the beach is enough inconsistency for you. Maybe putting your feet in the water is enough inconsistency. Getting on a jet ski? No, thank you. <laughs> Primary need. Number three, significance. Significance. Meaning that you matter, that your name is great, that you did something that left a mark, that you did something that you feel matches who you are, that your voice is heard. Significance is a big thing to talk about today, especially in the Twitter world and the Instagram world in which just about anybody can become famous almost overnight, that we all have a little bit of a feeling of, well, I should be listening. Somebody should be hearing what I say. And everybody got an opinion and everybody wanted to be significant, whether they educated or not. Significance is a need. 
If significance drives you, then that means that it doesn't matter what else is going on around you. You have a drive for significance. Number four, the fourth need is love, family, connection. It's a need. All humans have that need. All humans have a need for love. All humans have a need for family. All humans have a need for connection. Leave it up there. Love, family, connection. I live in North Carolina. I've been living in North Carolina for the last 20 years. Almost all of my family, I'm the oldest of eight children. Both my parents are still alive. My grandparents were still alive when I moved to North Carolina. All my siblings lived in Boston. Their wives, their children all lived in Boston. I left all of that for the call of God. I left all of that because he calleth me. I left all of that because I had a drive for my name to be great. Greater than my need for love and family and connection. Ladies, we have to be careful that we don't just judge a man by whether or not he values love and family and connection as high as you do. Because it may be possible that the guy is a bit driven more by his significance, which is connected to purpose, which is connected to him earning, than, it is, than he is driven by love and family and marriage and kids. And y'all have to be careful that you don't get tricked into thinking that a drive for significance is going to be more important to you than love and family and connection. Because I would contend that women are built better than men and that at some point, even after you got your job, you're going to want to know, do anybody love you? I'm quiet in here on that one. But all I'm saying is, don't lose your man because he don't change enough booky diapers for you. Most men aren't driven by love and family and connection the way that women are driven by love and family and connection. And if you met one, you wouldn't like him. He'd be too broke for you. You'd be talking about, I don't know, what's his purpose? <laughs> what's his purpose? <laughs> well, if you get a dude with purpose, then he may not want to wash dishes every night. Quiet. Move on. Left preaching, gone to meddling, but I'm meddling anyway. Love, family connection is a need, but is it a driving need? No right answers. Number five, the fifth need is for growth. Everybody's got a need for growth. People who are driven by growth are people who are always taking a class. Now they taking Chinese, now they taking Russian, now they taking Mandarin, what you doing now? Well now they learning Taekwondo, and now they going over here and they done learn how to build this and they done learn how to pour concrete and they done also learn how to play a little bit of piano. They just always gotta grow. Every time you talk to them, they taking another class. I'm in accounting school. You in accounting school? I just think I do my own accounting. They're driven by growth. And then number six, the last one is charity. Charity or acts of kindness or acts of charity or acts of benevolence is a need that we all have. Someone that's driven by that is somebody that ends up spending their life 
fighting for whales. They are so mad that they're killing these dolphins. They're driven by charity, but we all have that. It's one of the reasons why we're all moved when someone blesses somebody. Something wrong with you if you're not moved when somebody blesses somebody. Ellen decides to give somebody a car or Shaquille O'Neal buys some kid a bike. You're moved. Why? You're moved because acts of kindness and acts of benevolence and acts of charity move you and we all have a desire within us. We all have a need within us to do something for somebody outside of us. So, significance, consistency, inconsistency, significance, love, family, connection, growth, charity. You have to figure out which one is driving you and which one is navigating, making the most noise, understanding that you have all six of them. Final lesson, it's absolutely possible for your needs to change over time. So what was driving you at 30 may not be what's driving you at 45. But if you have set up a life based on a need you had at 20 and now you're 40, you may be unhappy because your life is set up for a need that is no longer your primary need. You have to be careful to not overly saddle or overly construct your life on a need you had at 18. We all have to be careful that we allow for the possibility that you may grow. And what's important to you now at 31 is not as important to you at 51. There was a time when the primary things that drove me, again, I hesitate to say it because there are no right or wrong answers, and I certainly don't want to compare anybody to me. It don't matter. But there was a time, I'm only saying it just for this example, there was a time when the primary need that drove me was significance, and the secondary need that drove me was growth. Those were my two needs that were making the most noise. My daughter Kayla just came up with a new single and her and her mother done posted some video of the kids when they were little and all that stuff and I watched that video. I don't remember that at all. <laughs> Have no memory of it. I wasn't there. I was working for Carlton Pearson. I had moved all of us to Oklahoma to work for Carlton Pearson. I wasn't there. I was so driven by significance and growth. I was so driven by this. I was so driven to get here that I missed my babies being babies. It's possible for you to be driven by something at that time and for you to look back on it and think I missed out on something, Tyrus. I missed something chasing something. 
Be careful, gentlemen, that you don't miss the world chasing purpose. That you don't miss a moment you can't get back. It's possible for your needs to change. I'm not driven by significance as much as I used to be driven by significance. My needs have changed. And if I look at why I'm bothered, if I look at why I can't sleep at night, there's a part of that reason that may be directly connected to consistency, inconsistency, significance, Love, family, connection, growth, charity. Blessing someone outside of yourself. Your problem may not be that you don't have enough. Your problem may be that you're not blessing anybody else enough. I'm going to make everybody clap for that. With that, let's give. <laughs> let's give to the work of the kingdom of God. And we're going to throw the, uh, the, the little QR code up. And we, this is our building fund offering. That's our second offering. Anybody here work from the Lord this morning? Anybody here? Anybody get some therapy this morning? Come on. It's all right. It's all right. You can download the MyWOCC app today. You can give to the work of the kingdom of God. We've asked you to make a pledge and to give to this project, this Victory Park project. A part of it, yes, is our new sanctuary, and we are going to have a sanctuary there that seats about 2,000, but the building is about 100,000 square feet of space right now, maybe even a little bit more, because a part of the whole vision is the basketball courts and the tournaments and then kids that can be enhanced and counseling center being double and and and. And, and impacting the community in a significant way. Part of our dream and a part of our goal is to build something that doesn't just impact church people. We're not just giving just so we can have another place to be because honestly, the sanctuary will be probably about the size of this one, seat around 2,000 probably won't be that much different than this building. It'll look, it'll look different because it's ours and it will be different, but most of the building is going to be dedicated to not just what church folk do, but what impacts the area in a significant way. Can you say amen to that? When you give to this project, when you give to Victory Park, you're not just giving to world overcomers the church for us to have a church you're giving to something that yes is going to empower us as a church we will have a space that we own and we won't be paying this lease space anymore hallelujah for that and certainly that is a part of it but also the park will be able to generate its own income so that the ministry won't be so dependent on the tithes and offerings dollars. But also so that this, this building, this park will be something that will significantly impact people in the community. Because I honestly believe 
that a part of the call of God is for the people of God to love people that aren't like them. If all we do is love each other, what benefit is that to us? How's that Christ? The real call of God is to give outside of just you. So I need you more than ever. I need you to be faithful and consistent. I need you to pay your tithes, but I need you to be generous as we give to get out of here and over there. We're on our way. I need your faithfulness and your consistency. Everything you give in this offering is going to the, the second offering, the Victory Park, and paying on your pledge. All of it's going to World Overcomers and what God has ultimately called us to do. And I believe you can't beat God given, no matter how hard you try. The Bible says that the person that gives to the poor lends to the Lord. So when you have an attitude about your finances that isn't just about yourself, when you decide to give outside of you, when you decide to impact lives outside of yourself, God's got to get behind you. My life is in his hands. Part of why many of us have confidence in him and are not overwhelmed by the fears of life and the changes is because we know in whom we believe. And we believe that God's hand is on us not just for us, but because God is using us to touch lives. Come on, bow your heads. Let me pray for you. Lord, I just want to thank you for our time together. Thank you for this offering. Thank you for every gift. Thank you for every giver. Thank you for every person that you're motivating in the room and literally around the world to be faithful, to give to your work. It's not just your work for your people, but it's your work for the area. God, we're trusting you right now. We're calling on the entire body of Christ. Not just the world overcomer's body, but the body. Oh God, have your way in us and take this offering and multiply it supernaturally to the upbuilding of your kingdom. Make us rich so that we can be generous on every occasion. Bless every king, every queen, every business owner, every person that is determined to follow your will. Make all things work together for our good. Even in the middle of this burgeoning crisis, God, may we plant in the difficult time and reap a harvest a hundredfold. Do what you promised. Have your way in us. And we'll praise you. In Jesus' name, we all sit together. God bless you as you give. As the bucket passes, you can just jump on your feet and I'm going to pray for you and let you go. Next Sunday, I'm going to be talking more about overwhelmed and getting more into this series on anxiety. And if you know anybody that's dealing with it, let them know. The thing I taught you this morning, something that I had to go through directly myself. <laughs> had to sit down and figure out what is driving me. My desire is that God will be the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So glad you came to worship with us this morning. 
all of you that pressed your way through the cold and through the clocks. Thanks for coming to worship with us. For everyone that watched live around the world, so excited you were with us. I believe and I'm praying and trust that you'll receive a great return on the investment of your time. God is watching. He knows. He sees and hears. Come on, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us. Could have been me outdoors with no shoes, no clothes, just alone without a friend, just another number with a tragic end, but you didn't see fit to let none of these things be. You keep blessing us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for protecting us. Thank you for watching over us. Thank you for gathering us together from around this area. Thank you for the people that are watching around the world at whatever time it is. Now, God, dismiss us, cover us, watch over us. Be God in our situation. Be our guide, even to the very end of the age. And as we always pray, give us peace. Bless your people. Make your face shine upon your people. Be gracious to your people. Give us peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. God, you're our rock. You're our redeemer. We love you. In Jesus' name, we all sit together. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming to church with us this morning. Thanks for tuning in. God bless you.